It's not the role of the leader to be served, but to serve. On today's show, the power of servant leadership to produce results for people and organizations. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 137. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity, the people parts of leadership and business. Welcome back for another episode of the show. And as you know, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, I am all about bringing on people to the show who uh, not only have an expertise in leadership, but have a track record behind them that shows the great work that they've done and really shows how they've taken good leadership, coaching, people skills, and applied it to make wonderful things happen in their organization. And today, I'm so glad to welcome a guest who has a tremendous track record behind him and also has a wonderful perspective on the topic of servant leadership. And this is a topic that, um, although we've uh, maybe touched on a few times on the show, we I've never really tackled this topic head on. Uh, servant leadership is a wonderful perspective of leadership, and I'm really excited to be able to welcome my guest, John, today, who I know is going to bring us a great perspective on this. John Dixon is the Chief Operations Officer at Spokane County in the state of Washington, and he's led many large organizations in both private industry and government over the last 25 years, including over 20 years at the Boeing Company in Seattle as a senior leader on programs including Sea Launch, the B-2 Bomber, and the F-22 Raptor. He has a substantial track record for transforming organizations for performance and customer service quality. And he's also a certified Dale Carnegie instructor, which is how I got connected with him originally through one of my colleagues at Dale Carnegie. And last year, he was named Spokane County's Chief Operations Officer, where he's currently leading the transformation of this 1,800-plus person organization. John, I am so glad to have you with. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Oh, thank you, Dave. It's great to be with you. Well, I am. Uh, I'm just jazzed to talk with you. I've been looking forward to talking with you all week here uh, because this topic, servant leadership, is one we. I'm realizing we never really talked about it on the show much. And I'm, you know, you are someone that uh, I know has done some thinking and 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 research on this topic. But more importantly, you have been living it for a long time and really done some great things with it. So um, I, I thought maybe we should start off just by talking about, you know, what. What is servant leadership, and how is it a different mindset and a different perspective than some of the other leadership theories or models that are out there? Yeah, I started at Boeing, as you said, uh, back in the mid-'80s, and I was also on the military side. And at that time, there was a really strong, uh, the tradi- I'll call it traditional leadership, the top-down, command and control. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it in my customers in the U.S. Air Force and uh, – and, and it was just the mode. But there were times, I remember on the um, F-22 Raptor, it, up in Seattle, we built the wings in the F fuselage for the F-22. And in a two-year time frame, we had to triple the rate of wings and F fuselages that we had to produce. Wow. And we, using the traditional style of leadership that I had been taught, I was not 
being very successful as a leader. We just were not in the senior ranks figuring out how we were supposed to so quickly accelerate the rate. You know who did know how to do it, though? My mechanics on the floor doing the work. And I started to realize that I just hadn't been listening to them enough. Oh, interesting. I'm curious, what is it that made you realize or or start to get that perspective that maybe you hadn't been listening as much to them as you would have wanted to or needed to? Well, I did the unthinkable, walked down on the floor as a senior leader and started talking to them and got humbled. I really got humbled mm. uh, as I started bringing up some of these challenges. And that, for me, that took courage. Um, in the structure I was in, I would call that a sign of weakness, you know, um, going down, not having the answers as a senior leader, right? And, and at the time, I didn't. And I finally humbled myself enough to go down there, start asking some questions. And of course, you know, originally there was great resistance. Why is this suit down here <laughs> talking to us? Yeah. And, and I was at a stage where, I, and, and luckily I, had, I was about a year to my Dale Carnegie in becoming a trainer also. Um, and so I started gaining the courage and the confidence to actually humble myself enough to, uh, to get down to where the work's being done. And, and you know, our frontline staff, they're closest to the customers also. They are. They are. So um, through about six, eight months of design build teams and, and empowering and enabling, you know, my, my mechanics, my frontline staff to lead a lot of these efforts. And I struggled mightily. I mean, it was a whole different leadership style, um, empowering, delegating. And these are skills we have to learn. Um, but when you get those folks doing the work, and they got the answers. And so that was my first, and it's a long story, but uh, we successfully did it. Uh, we successfully tripled our rate. Um, the Society of Manufacturing Engineers picked up the story, and they called it Lean Fighter. It's, a, it's an article you can read about this big transformation we did. But for me, that's where I really started to apply and understand the power of, of servant leadership. Awesome. And let's uh, let's definitely make sure we get that link into the notes here so people can reference it, especially those who are doing the kind of work you're doing, John. Um, we'll and, do. You know, I'm, I'm really curious about what you said, which is, you know, moving kind of past that that expectation that as a leader, you had to have the answers. And I, I thought we'd come back to that because that ties into servant leadership. And I think that that's a big fear for a lot of us in leadership roles is that we really feel like we're expected to, we're even looked to by many stakeholders in the organization to always have the correct answer to the problem or to figure it out pretty darn quickly. Um, why was making that shift important for you in the, in the transformation that you led? What I found as I moved up the ranks is that it, it's not, for me, it wasn't too tough managing a functional organization. But when you get into a senior leadership role where you've got 600, 800 people, um, eight, 10 different organizations, and you've got senior bosses looking at you now. And these are organizations that you had never, I had never led before. So I really didn't know <laughs> what a lot of the organizations that suddenly started aligning themselves with my sphere of influence. It was humbling. And, and I, I came to a point mentally where I, I, could, I knew I couldn't figure out everything in every department across a 1,200-person organization on what everything was supposed to do. So I, I started to realize that 
I had been taught traditional leadership. What I've found, my theory, is that it, 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 it forces you to be a knower. You're, you're, you're encouraged to know everything. What I've found is that we have to, in senior leadership positions, become learners. Mm. Um, I found many folks who've moved up the ranks, they, they become a victim of their own success. Uh, that they, what they know, they get promoted. Um, and that when we become knowers, and I, I've seen many senior managers who are quote-unquote knowers, and it's not wrong, um, but sometimes we inadvertently will stifle the ability, the creativity, the innovation of an organization because we know how it's been done the last three, four, five years. In fact, a lot of senior leaders, a lot of the policies that are in place in their organization have their name on it. And it can be a sign of weakness for some that, hey, let's completely challenge the way we're thinking about this. Mm. Um, it's scary, right? But when I finally committed to becoming a learner, I have to learn with these different organizations that are now within my sphere of influence. Yeah. And an active learner, an active listener. Um, it, it, it's not easy. It's not an easy transformation. Um, but for me, it was very, very powerful. And in learning how to really empower your frontline staff, because that's where your numbers are in any organization. It's your frontline staff. And um, so become a learner, uh, try to, to, which means you have to constantly get outside your comfort zone. And <laughs> when anybody gets outside their comfort zone, you're going to stumble, right? I don't use the word fail, but you're going to stumble. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and what I've always been blessed to have because uh, I seek it out now is I always have people above me see who are uh, encouraging, you know, radical thinking, innovative thinking, and, um, and allowing me to stumble because to this day I stumble a lot because hmm. it's necessary. Sure. Sure. Well, I, I'm, I really like your perspective on this and, you know, I, I know having worked with a lot of organizations that have a, a real value for knowledge and technology, and especially folks who are highly trained in, in those areas, many times that is an obstacle when they get into leadership roles of feeling like they have to understand everything about all the technology and all the engineering and all the um, software, or whatever it is in the organization. And it sounds like, you know, what you've discovered is that you know, you really have to let go and to take the time to listen and be a learner and to accept the fact that you just can't possibly know everything and have the answer at every moment. It's true. And, and another skill that I realized I had to learn to do very well is strategic planning. In, in quite a few organizations I was part of, um, it was something that you dusted off every 12 months and, <laughs> and uh, made sure you had your vision, your mission, your core values. Um, as I started transforming my thinking and transforming my leadership style, I realized that what I, that what my staff are constantly looking for, no matter what their technical expertise is, is what are the, what are the boundaries? I call them boundaries. You know, what, what, what can we do? What should we do? What's being encouraged? Um, and another thing I realized I had to do as a leader is to make sure that my organization truly understood what the real laws were and the real policies. And typically not the perceived, not the way we had been doing things for the last 10 years. When you really start studying organizational habits and behaviors, a lot of times you find that they're really not based on true uh, laws and, and policy, but it's just how we've always kind of done things. Mm. So what that caused me to do is I have to keep asking why. I have to keep questioning what are the true boundaries and make it very visible, very clear 
to all my staff and my management team, um, you know, in government, there are certain laws that you have to abide by, right? So my responsibility is to make sure that within each of my organizations, they understand what the laws are. But then and once, you, once you, you, you really set those boundaries, now your teams have got the ultimate flexibility to perform from within it. It's, it's almost an oxymoron. What I found is the more structured and disciplined organizations are, you know, towards a strategic plan, toward a vision, the more flexible and adaptable they are to change because they're not fearful anymore that they might be, be moving outside of a boundary. So one thing I had to really learn how to do better was how to really find out what the true system boundaries were. And this is whether it's in, in, in private industry, whether it's in government, they're mostly the same, mm. having led both. Sure. Um, but setting those boundaries and then, man, just, just really encouraging your staff to question everything, to question everything, to, to, to make things very visible on what are the customers saying, uh, make it very visible, right? What happens um, when you start making this stuff very visible is it starts getting uncomfortable <laughs> because you start facing things as an organization that you always do was there, um, but you always found ways to not hear about it or, or talk about it. So, um, in, in organization, it takes a while to, to start getting comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh, there's, <laughs> there's, there's so much here that I want to ask you about on some of the details and how you've done this. Um, you know, one of the things I, I'd love to ask you a little more about John here is about the strategic planning piece. Cause that's something that I think for a lot of people who get into a leadership role, they've really not had a lot of experience with maybe they've gone to a retreat you know before and they've been involved in some you know mission or vision in making a vision statement or something but they've not really ever done strategic planning and and i'm just wondering like what did you do to kind of get savvy at what were the key things you needed to do to get good at thinking through a plan and being able to articulate that with your with your senior people I'll, I'll share you two stories. One, when I used to do it very poorly. <laughs> when I was I'd love Boeing, to hear that. Great. Yeah, yeah. What we used to do, and I'm sure what a lot of the listeners have probably done, is is like between October and December of a calendar year, uh, the senior leadership team, and I did this, you'd, you'd uh, figuratively lock your senior leadership team, weekly meetings, and, you, and what you'd do is you'd put a, a strategic plan together. Mission, vision, right? And I'm a firm, firm believer in the Tuckman, the four stages of a team, form, mm. storm, yep. norm, then perform. I'm absolutely convinced all teams go through this. So what I, would, what I used to do at Boeing before I started figuring this stuff out is we'd form. So we get together and, hey, it's kind of cool. We're going to meet weekly. We're going to talk about what we're going to do the next year. And then we start throwing down some of the corporate demands on and reduction in cost, inc- increase in quality. Now that team would storm, right? And oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? Are you serious? Don't they realize? But you have to go through that stage. It's a necessary stage that I found I have to be there to help facilitate a team through, but sure. it's necessary. I've seen way too many teams not embrace the storm. The storm is necessary, right? I didn't realize that early on. Uh, once you get through the storm during our strategic planning where we lock ourselves up in room for, we get into the norm, we start putting things in place. Then by December, we'd, we'd be ready to perform for the next year. Mm-hmm. And what I do then <laughs> is I would unleash this, right, in late December, early January for all my staff to see our brilliance, right? 
Now, <laughs> right. what stage do you think I expected all my staff who had no inclusion in the last three months? What stage do you think I expected my staff to all be at? Oh, like so, everyone, like everyone who does this right at the performing stage, right? <laughs> Bad mistake. And I couldn't figure out for year after year why it would take until March or April, right? Before we started getting into the perform stage. Mm. Well, my gosh. So so I I finally figured out that the strategic planning process has got to be a very inclusive process. Very inclusive. Uh, One of the things I've been blessed to have learned a lot about over the last 25, 30 years. It's called Lean, L-E-A-N. Bowling has embraced it. And I I got into it in the late 80s. And um, there's a really, really effective strategic planning. It's called Hoshin, H-O-S-H-I-N, Hoshin Planning. Mm, And and, and another name for it is Catchball. So as I started to learn this process, I still take that October to December timeframe to do strategic planning. But what we do is we talk about and what I do with my senior leadership team, you know, what are four key objectives for next year, right? And so that would be like the first meeting. And now the next week, what each of my departments have to do is they have to ripple that down into their department and deliverables are due back from the department on what are some key goals that you think from each department to meet the intent of that key objective. My point is, is that strategic planning, you've got to be very intentionally inclusive of your frontline staff throughout the process. Mm. Yeah. Because then in the January time frame, everybody is pretty much at the norm to the perform stage. And you save all kinds of time, but you, you have to be inclusive. Uh, but that means there's one heck of a storm that you're having to facilitate <laughs> both yeah. within your senior leadership team meetings and with your staff, because your staff are going to be storming at about the same time. And I found that many, uh, they don't teach us enough in leadership on how to be great facilitators. And Dave, that's one of the things that we've learned, you know, in Dale Carnegie, right. as you facilitate classes and, and um, it, it, it's a necessary skill I found to be a, a pretty good servant leader. You really got to know how to facilitate groups of people, especially when you keep leading change, you keep forcing organizations into their uncomfy zone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and a storm in your staff is either going to occur within your presence or out by the water cooler. <laughs> right? Yeah, and you'd much rather hear people talking about it to your face than, you know, outside between meetings then, or, you know, on the weekend or whatever. And, you know, it, you and I are both students at Dale Carnegie, and, you know, Dale <laughs> Carnegie espouses this importance of, you know, give people ownership over the things that they're going to be talking about. And I, I love that that fits right into servant leadership, too, John, of what you've done of, um, you know, be willing to have the courage to go talk to the people you're ultimately there to serve. I mean, the frontline employees, the customer that, you know, what can you do that's going to facilitate those people getting engaged as quickly as possible and serving those people and, and being willing to engage in some of that conflict. I've been involved in a bunch of organizations over the years where, you know, whoever the senior leadership team or the senior leader just really kind of at the end of the day, didn't really want to have conflict, uh, espoused it, but didn't really want to have a lot of conflict in their organization and, and how it just, it, you know, you, you end up having it, but it just ends up happening on the periphery instead of being part of the conversation. Which, which is very detrimental to an organization. And I've seen this happen. I've seen so many senior leaders and, and maybe some of the, some of the listeners, you're in a meeting and a, a controversial topic comes up 
and I've seen this time. I've, I've especially seen a bit more frequency in governmental settings. Um, and all of a sudden, a debatable topic comes up. And one person not around the table states an opinion. And then another person on the other side of the table who wasn't listening much, but <laughs> would throw in a controversial, will, will disagree. And they start kind of going at it. And I've seen so often where the leader of that meeting, a senior leader, will say, okay, everybody, stop. Okay, Joe, you're going to do this. Pete, you're going to do this. And, and I've watched this many times. Instead of allow, to facilitating that through the storm, you know, so that those two at least can get into the norm stage, um, they break the storm. And it just makes things worse. I, I, I physically have watched when this happens, the two people or three that might, their, their, their head goes on their shoulders kind of slope in, like they didn't get the chance to fully express the way they, they're not being heard. I mean, mm. that's the bottom line. Yeah. Is there's not true listening going on. There's it, not listening going on. And, and that, that's another trait that you really got to get good at. Um, it's almost like being, it's almost like being comfortable with discomfort. Uh, and you mentioned that a minute ago, John, of just being willing to be uncomfortable and getting used to being uncomfortable as a leader and being in a situation where you don't always have it all figured out, or someone might be upset at someone else and being willing to be in that space for a small period of time, rather than just trying to get past it right away. Yeah. One thing that I've learned, you know, as, as, as you move up in leadership and senior leadership, I've, I've got 30 plus department heads now. And, and when I was at Boeing, we tended to get, I had a lot of folks that were just like me. We got into that group think where as I looked at my peers, my boss, white male, 25, 35, we all kind of fought alike. Mm. And what I found myself doing in reflection is whenever some radically different ideas would come in, it, I, I wouldn't hear them because my ideas were right. And so I was prejudging in my mind, you know, I'm right, they're wrong. So if they come in with con contradictory ideas, it's wrong. And, and it, 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 it was not healthy for my organizations. And so, you know, as I purposely have put myself into, you know, different uncomfortable situations from leading large um, private industry company, you know, like at Boeing, to now leading large uh, governmental settings, I've got people around me now that are vastly different than I think radically different and I couldn't embrace it more. Um, it, you know, what I find is you have to get to a stage where you have to surround yourself with people who think really different than you do mm. and then be very willing to listen. But what you also got to be very willing to do is to make decisions quickly on the spot and then allow your organization to go down that path and then there's three very, very important words you got to learn. I was wrong. When, when you make wrong decisions, I didn't say if. I, <laughs> and I've made my, I still make a whole bunch of wrong decisions. Sure. I make a whole lot of good decisions in reflection, but making a whole lot of, you got to make a whole lot of decisions. But when you make a bad one, admit it openly, yeah. honestly. Uh, it's amazing how quickly organizations then, uh, uh, start then feeling comfortable because they're watching you as a leader, mm. your act. And so much more of what we communicate, you know, is, is, is our vocal tones, our actions. And uh, so getting very comfortable saying I was wrong for me was also a very big part of my transformation. Well, speaking about just the culture of an organization and what people are comfortable with, I knew you mentioned a few minutes ago that getting people comfortable with not only making the boundaries visible, but also being willing to 
challenge the status quo and ask questions and challenge assumptions that have been held in the organization maybe for decades. What have you done? And, and I know you're you're kind of in the processes right now. Like, what have you done and what are you doing to change that mindset in the organization? Can you help us uh, let us into just your wisdom on how you architect that? There's once when I got here to the county, um, one thing I knew I needed to do was to provide leadership training and, and take about 15 of my department heads at a time and other senior leaders through a training course. And what I taught, it was four sessions separated by one week. Uh, session one was just the basics of continuous improvement. Session two is process management. Session three was visual management. Well, let me tell you what I mean by this. Um, process management. Any organization, when you study their organization, 90 to 95% of the time, the people are great. The people are amazing. Uh, what I found in both private industry and especially now in government, the processes, though, that the people are operating, they're broken, they're twisted, they're slow, eight signatures to get something through. Um, so what I've had to do in at least the governmental setting is that most of what we provide are services. Now, services are invisible <laughs> um, for the most part. Uh, what I found in private industry, I, I, I came from the manufacturing sector, and you could actually see product flowing through your center. You could hang metrics, cost, delivery, quality, safety, and, and you could see, based on units going through your center over time, improvements or not. It's really challenging in a governmental setting or any other, even in private industry, where you provide a service. How do you measure progress? So to answer your question, Dave, visual management is something that I am an absolute student of in what I call daily huddles. So what I teach in this class, uh, during this four-week class with all my senior leaders, they have to run a continuous improvement project uh, in their organization, and they have to empower their frontline staff to run it. <laughs> nice. And, and you, you teach the and, class? What's that? You teach the class? I do. Oh, cool. You've got to lead by example. Nice. And, uh, but I'm also in the process of building trust across many, many, many different departments. Um, so what we do is we pick a project. And the other thing I find is very important is, is to become very good at problem solving. What I found is in our society, we're asking to do more and more. We're becoming more and more reactionary. I call it firefighting. You seem to be reacting all the time. Mm-hmm. And I see many organizations um, that are, are always, they're always reacting, reacting, reacting. Um, what I'm trying to teach here is how to slow down, think, <laughs> think. And when a, when a potential issue comes up, you know, just do a very disciplined, quick problem solving. Step one, what's the problem? Write it out. <laughs> Write it out. Uh, step two. What's the current state? Step three, what's the future state? Step four, how are we going to bridge from the current state to the future state? This is a process when you get good at it. It takes under five minutes. But that's what I'm teaching here. Now, now we, I also teach how to make that visual. So all across the, any organization that I've been part of, if you walk into our organization, um, you're going to see butcher paper. You're going to see projects. The walls are going to have a lot of information on them. Because what's important, I found, is that as you go through this daily problem solving, now how do you, and this is including your frontline staff, this is how you serve effectively, you know, making, giving these folks the opportunity to lead their own organization, but they have to also be watching out for the bottom line, right? How are the decisions that each unit are making, how is it ultimately starting to affect the bottom line? 
Now, in the traditional way, I used to do things. I dictate down what the goals were from my boss. Right? It was a trickle down. Sure. And my goodness, everyone underneath me, you better hit your goals. If not, um, <laughs> we'll find someone who can. Right? Very typical. It is. As opposed to, okay, what's our strategic plan? What are the key goals? Now, each organization, how are you going to meet the intent of these goals? We have four key objectives in our 2014 strategic plan at the county. Customer service, financial stewardship, public engagement, and employee development. All right? Every one of my uh, departments here have put in excellence goals. They're called excellence goals this year. How do you define excellence? in our Fair and Expo Center, in customer service, in financial stewardship, in public engagement and employee development. And then they have to, we have an intranet site that we created. What, what type of projects are you going to do? How, how are you going to hold yourself accountable to your goals? I didn't say my goals. I put on boundaries in my, my board of county commissioners on what our key objectives are. But now each department, they're going to hold themselves accountable for setting their own goals and then making their way towards it. And the only other thing I'm dictating is make it visible, put it on the wall, and every morning, 10 minutes, just get your team around in the huddle uh, and go over what happened yesterday, what are we doing today, what do we have to do for tomorrow? And the person who's facilitating it, the manager, ends with the question, and what can I do to help you out? Mm, got it. It's a, it's a huge change. Yeah. But what you're creating now is, a, is you know, Peter Sange, the learning organization, yeah, um, that, that's what you really got to become is a really smart learning organization where every day you're, you're making decisions, you're, you're, you're action oriented, not meeting oriented, you're, <laughs> you're action oriented and you're, you're seeing the effect that your day to day, week to week, month to month actions have on customer service, on public engagement. I, I love how you've taken the actions and the process and how that all looks and really tied it to visibility and ownership over that process. And it's just really, it's really neat to see that and, and, and really thinking through of the person who's ultimately the frontline person who's going to be doing this work and the people ultimately we're trying to serve of how are we going to do that most effectively. And, you know, uh, I'm thinking here, John, any discussion of servant leadership, we should probably mention Robert Greenleaf, who's the guy who coined the term originally. And um, I pulled a quote from him. He, he said, the servant leader is servant first. It begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve and serve first, the conscious choice uh, one brings to aspire to lead. And I know that that's a big part of what you're thinking about and how you approach your day. And one of those big parts that's a part of your strategic plan is that public engagement. And ultimately, those are the people you're serving, the half million people that are uh, residents of your county. And I'm wondering what it is that you do and your staff does from that servant leadership perspective to engage those folks, the people you're ultimately serving, so that you really come at it from that perspective. I want to share a story with you. Uh, one of my departments is utilities. You know, We have sewer. We have very big responsibilities in any region. And this is one of my teams that really quickly embraced these principles of visual management of daily huddles. And one of the unfortunate things that we've had to deal with is sometimes folks, it, it's been, the last five years have not been great in our economy. People lose their jobs. They lose their ability to pay. And we have to start putting liens, L-I-E-N, liens, because they're not paying their bills, mm -hmm. right? And so I've got a very progressive manager, management team in utilities right now. And one of them, her name is Maureen Adez, A-D-E-S. 
And she, she took my class about a, week, a month and a half ago, and she just took this stuff to heart. And one of the things we found is that uh, from a, a historic policy, we were only able, when we would get payment plans from some of our um, customers to repay or, you know, their, where they got behind, a certain amount was determined. Let's say it's $200 a month. And we were at a point a month and a half ago where unless it was exactly $200 a month, we didn't accept the payment. Hmm. And, and so through constant questioning, this team within a day, they set up a whole new process where we could take partial payments, right? And, and this was with, with our, and a lot of the folks in this, this one team, they're on the phone a lot talking to our customers, you know, who want to pay, who some, and it's embarrassing if you're a customer, you know, when you find yourself in this situation, we all want to pay our bills. But what we were doing, you know, prior to this team focusing on this, this process is we were protecting our own interests. We need this much per month. It's uh, our policy. And not listening to our customers. Well, when Maureen and her team started listening to the customers, sometimes they couldn't pay the whole thing. In fact, Maureen told me a day or two ago, she says, John and I figured by not accepting partial payments, we probably lost $20,000 last year just in revenue hmm. right, coming in. So in one day, they implemented a partial payment process and they, they started sharing this with the, the folks. And one of the stories that I, I was sitting in Maureen's office about a, a week ago and one of our frontline staff, she was just, she comes flying into the, the, uh, into Maureen's office where I'm sitting and she says, Maureen, I got another good news story. I said, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is working. And she says, hey, she said, do you remember, this is about 1.30 in the afternoon. And at 8.20 to 8.30 in the morning, they have their daily huddle. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they decided to do with this partial payment is on our internet site that the public can see to put in a hyperlink on where folks can go to, to do payments. Before, what, what these folks, my, my frontline staff who were on the phone, it used to be a, a, a three to four click process. And at times, the customer and my own staff would get, comp- they would get frustrated because they couldn't figure out where they were you know, navigating through our site. So in the morning at 8.20, the team decided in their daily huddle said, hey, how about we put a hyperlink right on our front page, right? So that our, our customers can get right to this page to do a partial payment. By nine o'clock, it was done. Right. And by at one fifteen, a customer called who had called before and was one of the earliest recipients of this hyperlink. <laughs> and as the story goes, as I was sitting there with Maureen, this gal said, and, and when I showed him that hyperlink, you know, on the phone, he, she said, it went quiet. And then he said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and so we, we, it's, it's become the thank you, Jesus story at, yeah. at the county. But, but the point of the story there, and I wanted to make Maureen very aware of this, is she enabled this daily huddle. They, they had a process improvement idea at 8.20 in the morning. It was implemented within a half hour. And we got a thank you, Jesus, from one of our customers at 1.30. That's yeah. all within about five hours. Wow. And this morning, one of my commissioners uh, came to their daily huddle just to, it's a real energy building 10 minutes. I mean, it is just powerful. And, um, and they're sharing these stories after stories of, and, and I remember they said, you know, in the past, we didn't think we had this ability to make these changes. And now that you've allowed us to make these changes, in fact, I want to read a quote. We also collect success stories here and we, we, we put it on our intranet and I'm going to read this to you verbatim. It won't take long. As a result of the process change to allow partial payments on liens, 
uh, without the need for formal payment arrangements. Both customer and employee satisfaction has increased dramatically. This is from my staff. Our customers are expressing gratitude daily and in staff's words, quote, our level of job satisfaction has skyrocketed and we are ecstatic, end quote. Wow. Servant leadership. And, and you know, John, it's, it's, it's so simple in some ways that it's so easy to miss, but just for someone to have taken the time to listen and think through what the ultimate customer, the ultimate person we're serving needs, and to think through what what would be a value from that person's perspective, and then how do we work from there to create the systems, tools, resources that are going to be are going to help that person to be you know as successful as possible. I mean, it's just really a great example of how that that servant perspective can create some amazing things. It can, but as senior leaders, this we also are held to results. We're also held to, you know, we have to make sure that we're being lawful. And uh, so it just goes back to my statement. We've been working really hard here on what are the true laws, what are the true policies that come from the state, the federal government. We have to understand those. They're real. Um, It's just that we found that the interpretation, uh, we have to keep questioning how we're interpreting it. We've got a legal staff here. I mean, we we review the stuff by them, but... um, you know, empowering them and, and letting them letting them shine, and uh, it, it's natural for folks. And what I found, having run a state government agency and now a county government agency, is there's such great people that we've got in government. They want they want to serve. There, I found we got servant leaders at our front lines everywhere in government. So many are stuck in really bad processes, though, and. Unfortunately, sometimes I see in the middle and upper management, um, they've been part of that system for so long. These are great people also, by the way, but they, they don't have the perspective on how it could radically be done differently. And a lot of folks, especially as you start rising up, your comfort is what you know. Your comfort is what you know. And, um, you know, and I've gone through this whole thing. <laughs> you have. Still making mistakes. You have, you have. Well, that's actually um, the... The, you know, I could talk to you for hours, John. I just love the stories <laughs> you're telling. Um, that's actually, I think, probably one of the, the last things I wanted to ask you about, which is, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning of the conversation just how you've had to become a learner yourself, of being willing to be comfortable with the not knowing, of being a learner. Uh, you've used the word student several times in the interview, which I love. And I'm just curious, you know, what did, how did you get started on changing your perspective to be a learner, and what is it you're currently doing? Just you know, for example, today, that's ensuring that you are continuing to be a student and continuing to learn as much as you can. The way I started with my own personal transformation is, is as I started to understand this stuff, I said, and it sounds kind of simple, but every day makes somebody else's day. So that was a rule of mine. Every day in my senior man, how can I just make one person's day every day. And so that made me start going out. And another thing I did was I had to get out of my office a heck of a lot more. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, just get out there. Get out there to where the action is, where the real work is getting done. And just get to know people. Get to know their stories. Understand who their family members are. Um, have fun with them. You know, joke with them. Compliment them. But I always set a goal for myself. Whose day am I going to make today? Which means... if 
which means a, I got to get to know somebody different or new, or so I got to get to know them. I got to just listen to the questions. And, and one of the questions I always love to ask is if there's one thing that we could change that I could change for you or your team, what, what could I do for you? Mm. Right. And whatever they tell me, I, we get it done fast. Right. I remember, uh, do, oh, so many stories. Um, in one, I, I, we had a concrete floor and this one guy told me, gosh, if we could just get some like rubber pads that I, I could just stand on while I'm drilling holes, bang, you know, within 30 minutes, we got them there. Right. And, and this look of like amazement and awe, it would come over her eyes and wow. You did. And then what happens is the rumors start going around. Hey, this guy, this guy used to sit in his office all the time. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's actually coming down here. You know what? He's starting, he gets stuff done. So that, for me, that's where it started, committing to making someone's day every day. Um, and then the second thing is, is just really forcing action. That, I found that there's a lot of cover your hiney going on in meetings. We meet and we meet and we meet. And, every, and it can be for various reasons, not a clear understanding of true system boundaries or laws. So everybody gets together and you're wasting all this time. I'm not downgrading meetings. But I'm, I'm employing what I call doings, D-O-I-N-G-S, doings. Let's get together. Let's make sure we run very structured meetings and that we always know when we start the meeting what the goal is for the end of the meeting. What are we going to do today? We're not just going to meet to meet. Huge loss of capacity. Um, so forcing action. Um, I, I call myself a recovering engineer. I am a mechanical engineer by training. You are, you are. And uh, – Engineers, sometimes accountants, sometimes architects. Some, those of us who, who actually put our names on drawings on, sometimes we'll, we'll find it in our, we will take an extra week or two weeks just to make sure we got something just right before we release it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I find in senior leadership, you know, it, 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 it's never black and white. Everything's kind of gray. Um, but you've got to force action, force action, force action, force people. Hey, is that the 50, 60%? You think it's going to work? Try it, try it, try it with almost childlike excitement, you know, try it. And then being down there to see, Hey, how'd it go? Did, did it not go so good? Did it go good? What went good? Um, and I just find that in your heart, if you just, um, really focus in any organization, the vast amount of your staff of your people are at the front lines doing great work. Um, but study the processes, make sure that we aren't inadvertently tying their arms, uh, make sure that they, they do understand real laws. And, and there are certain, you know, goals and um, objectives that we do have to attain. Um, but when you keep trying to push it down from the top in the traditional, it, it's in, in this day and age with the internet and, and, and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and things are moving so darn fast. And the greatest, the great organizations are really able, they're very nimble and flexible. A lot of people may say that that's not possible in large organizations. I'm here to tell you that that's not true, uh, but we have to get outside of, we have to get out of our own way in senior leadership positions and find ways to embrace these new ways of doing things very quickly and nimbly and innovatively. It, it's so do and are, everyone out there listening. If you're a senior leader, your frontline staff is begging for this. They're begging to be able to do this. Um, but you know, there's things that you have to do internally in your head. So to ask you the question, make somebody's day every day as a senior leader, just commit to doing that every day and just watch what starts happening.
John, I just love your enthusiasm. You know, <laughs> you you know that Dale Carnegie said almost 100 years ago, the little recognized secret of success is enthusiasm. So, mm-hmm. you know, our experience means a lot, our our knowledge means a lot, but our attitude that we bring to the workplace and our leadership roles is just huge in how effective we are. And if ever I hear from someone that they just don't feel like they have enough enthusiasm <laughs> or they have too many obstacles in their organization to do something, I'm going to I'm going to point them right back to this interview because I just love the I love the <laughs> attitude you bring and your willingness and your drive to be willing to learn and to listen to others and be willing to say, you know, hey, I made a mistake too and I screwed up. Um, I think that that's key. So I'm, I'm just so grateful that you've brought your perspective to us and helping us to think differently about how we can really serve people effectively. Yeah. And, and just remember, we've all got this, I call it a battery in us, right? We got a battery and it's got to stay charged. And if you're going to lead big organizational change, you're going to have to give a lot of energy, right? But you can't give, you can't you can't deplete your battery, right? There's two types of folks in this world, energy givers and energy sappers. You, you know a giver because they walk into the room, they light it up. Uh, you know an energy sapper, they leave the room and they light it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what I've found is that you, you really got to be an energy giver. But you also, as a senior leader, you've got to find ways to recharge your own battery. And you don't have to, you don't have to um, share this with anyone, um, but you just can't. As a servant leader, you're giving a lot, but you also got to be selfish with yourself. You got to figure out how you're going to keep recharging your battery. Um, and we're all going to do it differently. For me, when I attend a daily huddle, <laughs> like I did this morning, um, it charges my battery up again. It is just, okay, another cool success story here. John Dixon is the Chief Operations Officer at Spokane County in the state of Washington. John, man, thanks so much for being here. I'm uh, so excited to have chatted with you. You're welcome. John and I referenced Dale Carnegie during this conversation, and Dale Carnegie said that enthusiasm is the little recognized secret of success, and John has got a bunch of enthusiasm, and enthusiasm alone, of course, is not enough. It uh, it takes knowledge and experience to be able to be an effective leader and to make wise decisions. That said, without enthusiasm, knowledge and experience doesn't take us nearly as far. And that's why I'm so glad that I was able to have John in to speak on this topic and talk about servant leadership because uh, that enthusiasm really does go a long way. And he's a wonderful example of that in his leadership. And so my question for us this week and for each one of us is, what's one shift you could make that would make you more like a servant leader? I would love it if you'd take a moment to hop onto the show notes for this episode and answer that question. Again, what's one shift you could make that would make you more like a servant leader? And you can do that at coachingforleaders.com slash 137. That'll take you to the notes for this episode. And of course, if you have comments, questions, or feedback about this topic or anything related to the show, you can always send it in at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And there is a call in number as well, too, that um, the feedback page, by the way, you can record audio right on that page that I can um, potentially bring into a show in the future if you have a question. Um, I should mention this, too, especially for those of us who are always concerned about how our voice is going to sound and recording things on that page, that link if you record a question, you can um, you can review it before you submit it. So if for those of you who, if that's any hesitation to 
get on and record a question, you are certainly welcome to do that there. You can also reach me by phone 949-38-LEARN. Coming up in the next few weeks is going to be a couple of shows coming up on the importance of teamwork, the different kinds of teams, and the stages that teams go through in developing. John and I hit on this a little bit. We're going to go into way more depth uh, with uh, with a dear friend and expert on teams, Susan Gerke, in the next couple of weeks here. So definitely stay tuned for that. If you are involved in a team in any way, and even more so if you lead teams or lead a team, that is something to definitely check out the next couple of weeks here. We're actually going to do two shows on it. And uh, and then I think other than that, I just wanted to thank all of the folks this week who had subscribed to my weekly update. And a special thank you to Tiffany Shuffert, Vince Scott, Ingrid Vannen, Rodrigo Mela, Stephen Shaw, Ronzel Hisetta. I hope I said that right, Ronzel, Shirley Romero, Anthony Smith, L or LED, Corinne Muthia. Susan Duckworth, Steve Inman, thanks also for the note, Steve, Joseph McFarlane, Wayne Franklin, and Matt Jones. Thank you to all of you for subscribing to the weekly update. I do send out an email each Wednesday for those of you who are on the weekly update list, and you will get an article that will help you support some of the things you've either learned here in the show or just in general, something around people's skills that'll help make you more effective in your work as a leader, plus the notes from this show. And for those of you who don't receive this or have never been on the show notes page, uh, what you'll get each week is an outline of what we've talked about in the episode, just with some brief bullet points, and also all the links that we mentioned. And so that will always be in the weekly update. So if you'd like to get that as well, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. Plus, you'll also get a bonus and instant access to my video overview and downloadable guide on the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others. And I just received a really nice email this week um, from uh, one of our community members who is going through that list and reading and has really gained a lot of value. There is tons to learn just from those 10 books. And if you haven't checked that out yet, please do because it's a great way to get moving on your leadership development and your reading as well. And uh, you know, one thing that's true of all of us who want to lead more effectively is reading and learning is an important, important way to do that. Hey, also a huge thank you to the person who's named Sailing Topper on iTunes. Thank you for the very kind review and for the really nice words you said about me personally. I, I so appreciate that. Hey, if you've been listening to this show for a bit and you feel like you have enough perspective to leave a review, I would be so grateful if you take a moment to leave a written review on iTunes or Stitcher if you use one of those two directories. You can get there by going to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes or coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. And be sure to join in for the next couple of weeks because lots of information coming up on how to uh, look at different aspects of teams, team leadership, and how to manage and lead, te lead teams more effectively. Stay tuned for that. Hey, have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week.